You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? <laughs> Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're in a series entitled True Love. Can we say true love? True love. Love is something that functions in two primary ways, giving and forgiving. Or you could say serving and showing mercy. William Penn, who's heard of him, Pennsylvania, he wrote, love is the hardest lesson in Christianity. But for that reason, it should be our utmost care to learn it. The proof of love is in its capacity to suffer for the object of its affection. When you preach often like I do, your own sermons ring in your ears, and you get tested in that area. Uh, the words that stuck out to me most from last Sunday's lesson was, uh, love suffers long and is kind. And we learned that that is simultaneous. Anybody can be kind when they're not suffering. Oh, I was kind all day long yesterday. Well, nothing went wrong. Come and get your goofy badge. But it's when you're suffering for the benefit of somebody else, and you're being kind at the same time. That is an expression of love. Suffering for the benefit of others, showing them kindness in the same. We agreed to leave here at 2.30 for Harvest America. That was too late. It officially began at 5.30. We left here at 2.30. And we were in traffic for an hour and a half, and I just let the kids out at the door on the curb. Not at the door, but on, at the parking lot on the curb. And I continued to circle the stadium, and none of the parking lots communicated with each other. So they would just send you to the next one. Yeah, go to the next one. They were all full, and by the time I realized it, I spoke loudly to one. I didn't yell at him or call him names. And I said, hey, they're all full. Yeah, go to, go to the baseball you know, go to Ranger Stadium. We're parking people there. So I went there. Of course, it's a traffic jam all the way there. And they were all full. And then 
Yes! There was an opening. So I drove into that lot, as did dozens of others. And after circling that lot for 20 minutes, we all discovered there's no space in there. They just abandoned that lot and forgot to barricade it or mark it as loaded. So to make a long story short, I finally get parked over a mile from the stadium and approach the doors only to be told it is full. Now during this whole process, my own, ring, my own words are ringing in my ears. It's not my words, it's the words of God. Love suffers wrong in his time. If it was just me, I would have left. I would have given up. But hey, I drove a van load of kids. I couldn't leave them there, right? The parents say, amen. <laughs> so it wasn't about me. It's about others. So for others, if we love others, we've got to be willing to suffer for them, right? And be kind in the process. So there's a plaza there. It was like a little piece of heaven. It was wonderful. You could see what was happening on the screen, but not understanding audio. But if you move behind the screen, then you could understand the audio, but you couldn't see what was happening. And there was a limited number of chairs, but the Christians there would share with each other, hey, I'm done sitting, come sit here. And so it was, it was kind of nice. Your leg got tired, you'd find someone who was giving up their chair, and you could sit there. And then, uh, make a long story short, we didn't get back here until after 10 o'clock that night. Love suffers long and is kind has been etched in my brain something fierce. So I guess this series is for me. <laughs> so if I preach it strong, you know why. Today we're going to talk about true love loves like Jesus. Tell somebody that. Yeah. True love loves like Jesus. In our text, the Lord says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Old Testament said to love your neighbor as yourself. It never said to hate your enemies. In fact, it said don't take up a reproach. Don't hold a grudge against anyone. It said that. But they like to add to the word and equate their traditions as powerful as the word. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 says, If your enemy hungers, give him something to eat. And so doing you heat coals of fire on his head, and God will reward you. What's a coals of fire on his head? I don't know. It'll mess with his mind, I guess. A Chinese proverb, it's not quite so biblical, says, if you have an enemy, buy each of his children or her children a drum. <laughs> That's not quite, I think, the efforts of what Jesus is communicating here. Love those who have animosity towards you, a paraphrase says. The word enemy does not suit any limited, convenient meaning as though merely referring to those whom we may not particularly like. The command to love our enemies means much more than simply changing our feelings about a people group with whom we do not get along. Enemy, in the Greek language, is roseth, which means adversary or foe, someone that hates you and refers to those whose actions and words manifest hatred. The in-law who will not speak to you, 
the associate who tried to get you fired. These are our enemies. The rude enemy, the rude neighbor. We are called to love those filled with animosity toward us. Jesus leaves no room for speculation in this passage, commanding love for those who hate, despise, and pers persecute us. Such love is only possible through his power, who he himself loved in this way, and now seeks vessels through whom he can love again in this hate-filled world. Verse 45, if we do this, we'll be like our father, that you may be sons or daughters, of your Father in heaven. For he makes his Son, the S-U-N, to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Love is not a matter of practical concern, but it's a matter of action, blessing, prayers, positive uh, blessings and wishes for well-being of someone else along with kind actions extended to our friends, and our foes, even our exes that don't live in Texas. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The con artists? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? You know, as Christians, we can gather around and sing kumbaya and bind us together, Lord, with cords that cannot be broken and rejoice in our unity. But if we're at disunity with others, it's kind of shallow, isn't it? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This word perfect, I think, is the word teleos, which means complete. It's not a flawless moral nature, but an all-inclusive love that seeks the good of all. Instead of following the example of sinners and tax collectors who love only those who will love them back, who give to, the only the, to those who will give them back, uh, who will bless only those that are deserving, we're to be like our Father who loves those who don't love Him. Somewhere right now is a criminal worthy of hell being blessed with water and God is making it possible for him to get a drink. Somewhere in the world is a lady unworthy of anyone's respect being blessed with a good meal. That's the love of God. It's his love. His grace, I love that song, covers us when we deserve to be exposed to the world. We expose someone else's sin. That is not our assignment. We're about grace to cover. You mean cover up, Pastor? No. To cover and let God handle the consequences. His covering is more like a smothering that smothers out the life of our sins, resulting in our being made righteous and turning our sinful past into smithereens from his smothering of the covering. To repeat that. This guy didn't get it. Somebody took this picture of a bumper sticker, probably on the back of a pickup truck, with a gun rack. Who knows? When Jesus said, love your enemies, I think he probably meant don't kill them. See what we do to the Word of God? We just put a spin on everything. We're the king of dodgers. This is our wickedness. He meant to bless them. 
Six whys for loving the unworthy. Why? Number one, because they are probably wounded. Maybe nobody's ever really loved them wholeheartedly. Hurt people hurt people. People that are in pain are in pain. It's true. Jesus said in Luke 6, just as you want men to do to you, do also to them likewise. Have you ever been in pain and someone has shown you kindness? It's a blessing. We get, it, we get to return the favor. Another reason why is because they don't know how wonderful we are. They don't know how wonderful you are. Jesus said we're the light of the world. They don't know that yet. They assume something else. Let's prove them wrong. Talking about loving the unworthy. Another reason why is because those not yet converted are watching us. Maybe the unbeliever or the pre-church person isn't our enemy. They may be our friend or acquaintance or someone just watching us. And if we're retaliatory, angry, vicious, bitter, venomous towards people that deserve such treatment, what kind of witness is that to someone that wants to see the real Jesus in action? And because our own children are watching us, do you want your kids to stay out of trouble? Do you want your kids never to be charged with assault or fraud or slander or contempt of court? You may get by with being vicious towards people that deserve viciousness, but your child may not. And they are walking in our footsteps. And they generally go way beyond what we do. Another reason is why is because sometimes we may need some mercy. <coughs> Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. mercy. Why show mercy to somebody that is worthy of it? None of us are worthy of mercy. Mercy is our not getting what we deserve. And grace is our receiving what we don't deserve. What glorious grace. What awesome mercy God has given to us. Well, they should repent first and then I'll consider giving mercy. Oh, really? Is that the heart of Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Somebody's got to be Jesus in this situation. Yes, but you don't know when you start rattling off a score. Love keeps no record of wrong. Scorekeeping does not have its place in our relationships. Otherwise, our world will get smaller and smaller because the world's full of people that will let you down. Well, I'm going to find a better church. Well, go ahead, but you're going to take you with you. There you go. We all need some mercy. Another reason why is because obeying Jesus stormproofs our lives. He told us to love our enemies. And if we will, there's a blessing in it. If we don't, there's destruction coming. Therefore, if everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house 
Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Things he says, if we take them seriously and apply them to our lives, when the storms of life come, we will stand strong. How do we do this? Six ways for loving the unworthy. Pray for them. Then obey him by blessing them. The reason we pray for them is as you pray, your eyes are lifted off of your problems onto the Lord, right? And in his presence, he's present wherever we call on his name, his fullness of joy and all things are possible. Creative ideas will come to us and the grace you need to be able to extend to someone, you'll receive and taste yourself and you'll be inspired. My dad was a new pastor in Bloomington, Illinois. We just come home from the mission field. And being gone for four years from America, it's a little adjustment back to the culture. And it wasn't long till a couple in the church didn't like him. And this, this couple was in leadership. The husband was the church treasurer and the wife was the church pianist. And she was good. She could make it talk. And it wasn't long till they were at odds with my dad. They were becoming his foe. So in prayer, the Lord gave him this idea. He knew they had an extra car that was an old, rusty thing. So on boldness, he asked, hey, can I borrow your car for a couple days? We need an extra car. And he didn't say this, so we can fix it up. They loaned him their car, much to their chagrin. And he put it in our garage, sanded it down, taped it off, and repainted that thing. Then he returned it to them. They love him to this day. <laughs> to this day. To this day, my dad has no faults in their eyes. Why? He prayed for his enemies. Ideas came, and then he acted on them. Yes, but I gave a lot of money in the offering last week. People ought to treat me better. Guess what? Obedience is better than sacrifice. I don't care how much money you give in the offering. If you don't do your part in obeying Jesus, you're trying to buy off God's blessings. Hello? Well, that's not what the TV preacher said. I'm sorry, but there's more to it than just planting a seed. There's a life of obedience. Right. Come on. Ed Cole used to say, Sacrifice is no substitute for a life of disobedience. The prophet Nathan told uh, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. So obey the Lord. This is, this is true stuff. Pastor, why do you keep hammering on this? Here's why. Next week, you will have probably only remembered 5% of what I said today, at the best. So why go on to something else if we forget what we've heard? See what I mean? 
Another way to love the unworthy is to overcome evil with the weapons of love. Love is a weapon. If you don't think it is, look at the change that happened in our nation in the 1960s through the leadership of Martin Luther King. He used the weapons of love and mercy, turning the other cheek, kneeling down in front of the dogs that were being sicked on them, Standing strong, even though he was being slandered and lied about, unbelievable lies were told on that man. He continued to stand. Even slandered within his own ranks. Weapons of love are powerful. Another way to love the unworthy is to respond, respond gently rather than react aggressively. This is not a yin-yang, tit-for-tat thing, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Just because someone's burning doesn't mean you have to pour gasoline on their fire. Have some water. A soft answer, the Bible says, turns away wrath. Sow kindness seeds and they will come back to you. We will reap what we sow. God is not mocked. Galatians 6, 7 says, Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Love the person as though they are Jesus. Why? Because you're obeying Jesus to do it. And one day he will reward you and say, as you did it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Your witnesses to me throughout the earth. Part of his commission. And finally, we love the unworthy. We do it for God, looking ahead to his reward. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross wasn't fun. He didn't love the cross, but he loved the reward that was for him. Pleasing his Father, eternal relationship with us, redeeming mankind. That's what he was pressing for, so he went through it. I don't know any woman that's had a child that said, oh, my labor was just glorious. I love going through labor. No, it's a pain. It's horrible. You're going through the gates of death. But for the joy set before her, the mother pushes. Why? For the baby that's out in front. There is a blessing you can't see for you. Maybe all around you, all you can see is heartache and shame that this person is bringing into your life. Don't let that person blind you. As a young man, I went for the first time to Colorado. As a young man, I went there as a child. I didn't remember much of it. And was there for four days, never saw the Rocky Mountains. Oh, I saw the beginning of them, but because of clouds, they were covered. And I was so disappointed. And on the way home, the Lord spoke to my heart. So just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. <laughs> just because you can't see the joy that's out before you doesn't mean it's not there. Well, I'm not Jesus. Well, he chose to live as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so he lived by faith as well. So by faith, he saw the joy before him. By faith, we can see the joy before us that we are going to be reconciled with our enemies. Love is going to win this thing. Amen. 
thought for the day. If your religion requires that you hate someone, you need a new religion. I posted this on Facebook. And got lots of likes and people agreeing. And then one bonehead chose to disagree and thought he had Bible to disagree with it. Because Jesus, in one place, Jesus made this statement. If you don't hate your parents and your siblings, you're not worthy of me. One verse. He did say it. But he said it in Greek. And the Greek word that was translated hate means to love less. So literally what we're saying, if you don't love your parents less than you love me, if you don't love me more, you're not worthy. How we love to justify hatred is a big part of the problem in the world today is our hatred. The always endeavors of true love, let me race through them. Always be committed to love for life. When you mess up, get back up and go again. Never forget who your father is and you're his representative. Always know what you have in him, eternal inheritance. Never forget where you're going. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I stay here, but I'm abiding there. Always be willing to humble yourself. You can't get away from it. I'm sick of humbling myself. That's the Christian line. Welcome to Christianity 101. <laughs> Never stop expressing love practically. This has got to be a daily thing. More than hugs. Always forgive without prejudice. Always forgive without prejudice. On June 11, 1963, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the University of Alabama campus had a young black woman and a young black man enroll as students. But it was not without opposition. Federal troops were there to ensure her entrance into the school, but her way was blocked by the governor, George Wallace, holding out for segregation. The governor failed in his attempt, and she became the first African-American student ever to graduate from the University of Alabama. She wasn't the only African-American that day seeking a role in the university. James Hood was at her side, but he was afraid. So Vivian helped him along and slipped him a simple note, a prayer, that said, whatever may be our adversary this day, our Father, help us to face it with courage. For it can be conquered when you are with us. In faith we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Later, George Wallace regretted his actions. That day, June 11th, and years later, in his wheelchair, went to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, and there asked the congregation to forgive him for his hardness. He also regretted how he had treated Vivian that day and sought for her forgiveness. He wanted to make amends before he died, and he wanted to meet her. Vivian did meet him and told him she had already forgiven him years earlier. Interviewed in 2003, Vivian was asked about this. She said, they asked her, you said you'd forgive him many years earlier? Oh, yes. Why did you do that? Her reply was, this may sound weird, but I'm a Christian, and I grew up in the church, and I was taught that just as I was taught that no other person is better than I, that we are all equal in the eyes of God, I was also taught that you forgive people no matter what, and that is why I had to do it. I didn't feel as if I had a choice. 
Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. But there's no choice in this matter. Forgive so that you'll be forgiven. Jesus said it. Yes, but. Stop the yes, but stuff. And let Jesus be Lord. He's either Lord of all or he's not really Lord at all. We're creating an idol in our image and calling him Jesus. The real Jesus tells us to forgive. Never substitute knowledge for obedience. Yada, yada, yada. I already know all this forgiveness stuff. All right, move on. What's the next subject? You know, if you had a child at home and told that child to clean his room and you came back at the end of the day and the room was still a mess, you would ask that child about it, right? And the child said, you know, I studied the definitions of every word in the phrase, clean your room. Do you understand the full ramifications in the Greek of the word clean and the word your and the word room? I'm going to get together a study group and we're going to study these words in depth. Is that obedience? Bible study is important as it is. Study to show yourself approved. A workman, that's obedience, that needs not be ashamed. So being a scholar, getting a degree is all wonderful. But if we don't obey, we're just a bunch of idol makers. That's all we are. And calling ourselves Christians. Always remember that everyone is not going to love you. This is not going to be easy. Everybody's not going to love you. You're going to have people that hate you. You're going to have adversaries. Anticipate it. Wake up. Grow up. It's the real world. Never miss opportunities to show love. Don't miss them. All right, Pastor, time passing on. No, it's not. It's only 916. <laughs> Always remember you are loved. You are loved. Don't forget it. And never forget you are loved. True love doesn't have a happy ending because true love doesn't end. Beloved, it's time to love. So be loved. Give love, live love, love. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, How could a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. The word of God is like so. Billy Graham was asked if Christianity is true, why is the world in such a mess? And he said, The Bible is like so, and Christians are not using it. It's also like a mirror. It shows us our deficiencies. It shows us where we're wrong, but it doesn't leave us there. It helps clean us up with the living water of His Spirit. <coughs> the Word and the Spirit, water and soap, transforms our lives and changes us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would enable us to love like you. And when suffering, help us to recognize as a, not just a pain, but an opportunity. Because you are the only way. Help us to take up our cross daily and to follow you. In Jesus' name. True love loves like Jesus. Listen to this. The intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the world. And the people who wait are different. 
Mark and Joy can testify to this fact. They can't do enough for each other. No one is rude. The distinctions of race and class melt away. A person is a father first. A woman is a mother first. Whatever he does for a living is different. The garbage man loves his wife, his loved one that's there, as much as a university professor loves his relative. And everyone understands this. Each person pulls for everyone else. In the intensive care waiting room, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. The universe is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it will show improvement for somebody. Everyone knows that loving someone else is what life is all about. Could we learn to love like that if we realize that every day of life is like a day in the waiting room. In a world full of hurting people, can we pull for somebody else? Can it be for more than just us? Has your so-called enemy who's pained you, annoyed you, aggravated you, angered you, ever pressed a wreath of thorns on your brow? spat in your face, laid a brutal, repeated, torturous whip many times across your bare back, cursed you, defamed you, and intimidated all your friends into abandoning you, slandered you and taken legal actions against you to have you destroyed? No, then we have no excuse. The only way is his way. Take up your cross and follow me is what he said. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would bring life to us, hope to us, grace to us that would cover us in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we sing this song in closing, I pray that no one would leave here condemned. We would be challenged. We would be enlightened. We would be encouraged. But Lord, it's out of the benefit of having received your grace for ourselves that we're able to cover others and extend them. Cut others some slack because you've cut us some slack. Given others the benefit of a crop failure because you've caused the seeds we've sown not to bear harvest. Lord, we don't want to mock you. Help us to be merciful people because you've been merciful to us. Almighty himself lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. 
His shalom peace, that wholeness that comes from you, that peace that passes our understanding that we can only begin to fathom. And may you extend that to others everywhere you go. May your enemies be at peace with you through the operation of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, your mouth, your hands, and your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get him, you loving tigers.